Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, what's up, Greenwood people? Yes, I'm aware there's a giant salt shaker right behind me. Thou wilt know the reason for thine salt shaker before the end of the service. Um, We are going to talk about anxiety again. Um, Our key verses are in Philippians chapter 4, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible there. Um, In the beginning, it says in the the version that I grew up memorizing, it says, be anxious for nothing. And last week, we talked a little bit about um, how the Bible tells us not to be anxious for anything, but we also talked about how being anxious profits us nothing. Anxiety profits us nothing. But we really, this is the, the time, um, that more than any, that I can really remember where there is more anxiety in our society, within the church, within people, than maybe um, any time that I can remember. Maybe at least since uh, 9-11 and the days following that. But there, there's just a, an underlying sense of anxiousness, even within people, those of us who know the Lord. And so we're talking about anxiety, what to do with it, how to deal with it. And today I'm going to give you what I think is the greatest cure for anxiety. We're going to get there in a little bit. Um, but we're going to start out in Philippians 4, uh, verses 6 and 7. If you'd please stand and honor the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to read these out of the New Living Testament. It says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, I want to talk about what I think is um, one of, if not the most dangerous of the anxiety issues that we can have. And that's what I want to call now anxiety. And that's this this idea that if we don't do something now, if we don't do it quickly, that we're going to lose this opportunity. If I don't do this, there's a, this anxiousness that, that life's getting away from us or that you know, we're not doing something we should be. And I want to talk about that a little bit. The first thing I want us to see is in Psalm 1830, it says that God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He's a shield to all who look to Him for perfection. Now, what is God's way? God has a pattern that we can find in Scripture about how He deals with things. When God gives us a a promise or He tells us about something that's coming, there's a a time where we have the opportunity to grab hold of that, and then there's going to be, and this is the most difficult time, there's going to be a time of waiting that follows after that. When God told Abram that he was going to be the father of a great generation, he was childless, he was in his 80s, okay? And it was uh, upwards of close to being 100 years old before he had a child, okay? Now, there are other times when God, God had always promised the Israelites that he was going to deliver them out of slavery, but they were in slavery for 400 years before they came out. Um, there, there's so many times where God gives promises, and then there's a time of waiting, and I've seen that to be true in my own life, is that, you know, maybe there's a desire that God's playing, and we pray about it, and God gives us a promise, yes, I'm going to fulfill that, But then there's a time of waiting. And that waiting is one of the most, if not the most critical part of your faith journey. And you're going to go through it over and over again. I mean, that's part of a pattern of life is that you feel like that, you know, maybe it's God's promised you um, a a wife or a husband or 
or a job or whatever, there's almost always a time of waiting. And it's in that waiting where the decisions that we make are the most critical. And if we choose to allow time and, and the passage of time, it can cause anxiety. And if we choose to act on that anxiety, there are all kinds of issues that can come as a result. So God has given Abram and Sarah this promise that they're going to have children, that they're going to be a, a great generation. So in Genesis 16, 1 through 3, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. So she looks around and she's like, okay, God promised this, but here we go. It's been all these years and nothing's happened. And they weren't young. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Now, that's a cultural thing that I just still do not get from that day and age. But that's the way it was. That was acceptable. It was part of the time. But let me tell you what, it was not God's plan for Abram and Sarah. It wasn't his plan. But you know what? Here they are. And they're thinking, man, it's been all these years. It's getting to be too long. God hadn't done anything. Here's something that would work. I mean, we might do this, and then we got a child. And so then we got an heir, and then we, got, then we can move forward. And that's where the danger comes in, is that so many times there's going to come up a counterfeit solution while you're waiting on God to do what only God can do. And that's a critical decision for each and every one of us. I can remember there were, um, when I felt like God was leading me to move, I was in student ministry, I was associate pastor at the time, into a senior pastor position. It took three years from the time that God told me that was going to happen until it actually happened. And in the meantime, there were other opportunities that popped up. There were other opportunities for youth ministry positions that I wasn't seeking. There were opportunities for um, senior pastor decisions that, that were offered to us that we had an opportunity for. And the key thing was seeing those for what they were. It's not that the churches were wrong or anything like that, but they weren't the right opportunity. And there were some critical moments. There were times in there I wanted to take them. Because there's this anxiousness, you're like, man, we've been waiting forever. This is never going to happen. And then, boom, there's a, there's a possibility. There's an opportunity, you think. And there's this pressure and this anxiety. Well, hey, you know, God told me he was going to give me a church, and here's it. It's a church. I mean, there's some issues here, but it's a church. Or I've been waiting for that one that God has called me to marry, and, you know, here's a, they got a pulse. I mean, they ain't killed nobody. What if this is my only chance? That's how it works. That's how a counterfeit opportunity is always going to come before the real one. But there are consequences when we choose the counterfeit. I'm going to go on in that passage. Abraham agreed. Oh, excuse me. She says, go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. Now, you notice, neither, none of them, neither one of them asked God about it. Neither one of them said, hey, God, here's an idea. Is this what you want us to do? Because God would have said, no, because he knew what was coming. All right? So, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. And she conceived a son, and his name was Ishmael. Now, that had zero consequences, right? I mean, hey, they had a kid. Everything's good. Uh, no. We're still seeing the consequence today, thousands of years later. 
Ishmael was the father of all the Arabic tribes. And guess what? They're still warring with the sons of Abraham after thousands of years. As a matter of fact, several of those countries that are from Ishmael around this tiny little country of Israel, it's even in their constitution that they ever have a chance or that part of their purpose in life is to destroy Israel. So what happened was it caused conflict in Abram's house from that point until Jesus comes back the second time and finally settles the argument. Now, I don't know about you, but hopefully most of the decisions we make are not going to have that far-reaching of a consequence, but that's what happened with Abram. Because they took the counterfeit way instead of waiting for God. Now, does that mean they were bad people? No, they were people of faith. But they let the anxiety of, man, why isn't this happening? We've been waiting so long. Maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe we should help God out a little bit and fix this for ourselves. I have personally counseled with people. I remember a young man who came to know Christ. His wife had been praying for him for years. He came to know Jesus. They were involved in the church. He was growing as a believer. He lost his job. And then an opportunity came up. And the opportunity meant that he was going to be gone for like a month at a time. Gone for a month, sometimes two, back for a couple of weeks. And every single one of us, he came, we said, don't do it. But dude, it's a job. But it's going to cost you your family. Hey, I got to put me, I, I'm doing it for them. Because I want to put food on the table. I said, look, I'm telling you, this is not of God. We prayed about it. We counseled with him. We told him. He took it anyway. And within a year, he had lost the whole reason he was going to work. He got involved in drugs and alcohol. Lost his wife, left her, lost his whole family because he took a counterfeit instead of waiting for God to provide for him where he was in a way that he could keep growing spiritually. And let me tell you something, when you're growing spiritually, there's nothing the enemy wants more than anything else than to pull you away from it. And he'll use all kinds of goofy reasons and excuses. I've seen people pulled away from the church because, well, you know, they're trying to do the right thing, they think, but they've accepted a counterfeit. Or maybe somebody in church made them mad so they're not going to go to church anymore. And I'm like, really? There's enough people here, you don't ever have, even have to talk to somebody you don't like. You, there's three services. There's upwards of 1,000, 1,200 people that show up here on a regular basis. So if that one you, don't, you can't get along with, there's 1,199 others that you maybe could. He'll use every kind of excuse. When you start growing as an individual and as a family, he will do whatever it takes to give you an excuse to go in opposite direction. Because that's what he does. Now once he's got you over there, he's just going to let you burn. He's going to let your family fall apart. He's going to let your spiritual life fall apart. And if you choose to let the enemy influence you away, that's on you. If you choose to accept a counterfeit, that's on you. Here's the deal. Now, God still loved Abram. And he still, here's the, 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 the redeeming part, is that God still fulfilled his promise. But it ended up being a lot harder for him and all his descendants than it had to be. It ended up being a, a, a centuries, millennial 
how many thousands of years is it? it it's, a ten, it's thousands of years this conflict's been going on with no resolution. Anytime some, pre, some politician tells you that they got the secret for peace in the Middle East, they are lying. Because you know what the Word of God says? The only peace is going to happen is when Jesus comes back the second time and the forces of good and the forces of evil are going to fight it out and it's going to be over. But until then, there's going to be conflict. Except when the Antichrist comes, there's going to be a small window of peace, but it's deceptive. And it's only going to lead to greater bloodshed. So be careful. Some, some politician promises you peace in the Middle East. They're either lying or they might be the Antichrist. So there you go. Two, two awesome choices. Just saying. So here's the deal. What's our, what's our deal? Is to be patient. That's not my favorite word. I'm going to be honest with you. When somebody tells you to be patient, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I just go, hey, you know what? Just you telling me that gives me peace. <laughs> Does that anybody else? I mean, y'all react the same way, right? No. Somebody tells me to be patient, it just makes me matter. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Y'all know. I mean, man, I, when I look on Amazon to buy something, I immediately pass up anything where they say, oh, your delivery's going to come sometime between November and January of next year. I'm like, nope. But if you pay 10 extra bucks, you can have it in two days. Boom, I'm on it. I don't care. I want it now. I, I'm not a patient. That's not my, I, I've, I've learned how to be patient in some ways. I've learned, maybe I have learned the costs of being impatient that have helped me to be patient in some ways. I'm, I'm more patient than I used to be in a lot of things. I'm not going to tell you I'm perfect because I ain't. We got to learn how to be patient. And there's another deal. Some of those decisions that we make when we, when we choose that counterfeit, they can have some long-term implications. Okay? One of the things I want to make clear to you, okay, even if you look and say, well, you know what, maybe I made a mistake marrying a person I married. Let me tell you something. The minute you say I, did, I do, it becomes God's will. And that's God's plan for you. And God can redeem that, and God can make it something awesome. So I don't care... If you're married, you're in that situation, I don't care how you got there, it don't matter. When you got married, boom, that's God's will for you. And here's the thing, and I will tell you this without a shadow of a doubt, the best route forward for you is to do the best, to be the best spouse you can be in the, in the relationship that you're in and pray that God, if he needs to change the other person or change you, that's your best chance to have the kind of Christian marriage that you ever wanted, that you wanted. Leaving that and trying to find something else, it, it doesn't, it's not going to be better. Plan A is where you're at right now. I don't care about the past. Right now is what matters. Whatever relationship that you've committed to, when somebody signed that marriage certificate, it's God's will. Okay? And so here's what you do. is You, you, you seek to be obedient to the vows you made before God. Now, the Bible also says if the other person is not a believer and they choose to leave, that's on them. And, and there are some scriptural grounds for divorce. All right? They're, they're very narrow, but they're there. But otherwise, here's the deal. It's, it's not ever. All right, I'm going to share with you something. Okay? I'm going to tell you something right now. There ain't nobody in here that's been married more than 35, 40 minutes. 
unless you got married before the service today, there ain't nobody in here that at some point it didn't cross their mind. I might have married the wrong one. I guarantee you, everybody in here has at least had that flashing moment. And everybody's looking at their wife going, not me. Yeah, you. Now, maybe it was just a flashing moment, but we've all had that flashing moment, all right? So you don't get to take that moment and say, well, I should just quit this and go find. No, you're in it. Hey, I've been married 30 years now. I'm sure my wife had a lot more of those moments than I did of going, what have I done? But we stuck it out. And you know what I told her that day? I said, man, I can't imagine what life would have been like without you. And she just went, yeah, I bet you can't. No, she didn't. <laughs> she didn't say that. I'm just joking. <laughs> but here's the thing. Everybody has those moments, all right? God can redeem whatever relationship you're in, but you've got to trust him. He's got a plan for your marriage, all right? He's got a plan for your, your walk together. Now, it takes two, I get it, but you, you be committed as far as you can and see what God can do. Patience is, is a key, all right? In Galatians 5, 22 through 23, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. When we're growing and we're, we're allowing God to move and work in our lives, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's part of the, the, the produce of the Holy Spirit that works in our lives and in our hearts. And I, patience is one of the hardest ones, but it's one of the most critical because it requires patience to follow God. It does. There are always going to be times of waiting. You're going to be in a cycle of waiting you're going to be in a cycle of, of, you know what, I'm waiting, I'm praying for this. God hadn't done it yet, but I'm praying for it. There's all, there are always going to be periods of waiting in your journey with Christ. I mean, we're all waiting for Jesus to come back, but we all have other things that we're praying for, we're waiting on, we're hoping for, we're trusting God for. And the, the decisions you make during that time, those times of waiting are absolutely critical. Don't fall for the counterfeit. So how do you, how do you determine those? Well, there are ways that you can find out. There are ways that you can know. All right? Um, Psalm 37, 7. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Don't worry about people that seem like they're getting ahead. That you feel like, man, I'm not getting there. As you wait for God to act. Here's, there's something people want to know. How will I know when God's opening the door? When God opens the door and there's an opportunity to walk, for, walk through it, there is not that underlying sense of anxiousness of, I got to do this now. There's an, when that anxiousness comes up, that anxiety that this might be my only chance, this might be my only hope, when, when we're really walking with God, we're like, hey, you know what? God, if God opens the door, I'm going to walk through it if it's the right place. You need to be waiting on Him to open a door. Don't go looking for ways to, to fulfill what God's promised you. Wait for him to do it. Okay? Now, what does that mean? Number one, or in Psalm 27, 14, here's what you're going to need. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Do you realize what's there? Twice it says, wait patiently for the Lord 
And in between it says, be brave and courageous. It takes courage to wait for God to do what only God can do. It, ca it takes courage when you're 90 years old to wait for God to, to produce a child, an heir, the one who's going to be the father of many nations. It takes courage to wait for that. When you're without a job and opportunities come up and you look, man, this would be really bad for my family. This, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to do this. This is not where, it's not the situation I need to be in. It looks a little bit like what, what I, I know that God's leading me towards, but there's some things that I'm just going to have to overlook. That's not of God. Now, it doesn't mean that every situation can be perfect, but when you know God's opening the door, it's easy to walk through it. But when it's a counterfeit, you've got to push aside advice, you've got to push aside that anxiousness, and there's this thing that says, take it now, take it now, take it now. That's not of God. Okay? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Some of y'all need to memorize this verse. We all do, probably. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. All right, what does that mean to not trust in your own understanding? Every decision that, that my wife and I made uh, since we've been married, every major decision, there have been times where I've been wanting to jump at the counterfeit, and my wife said, you know what, if you... You're, you know, if, you, if you're sure this is what God's leading us to do, I'll go with you. But I don't think this is of God. And let me tell you something. When somebody tells you that, here's what you do. If your reaction is, you know what, I really need to go back and pray, pray about that and look at it some more. That's of God. If your reaction is to get mad at the person who told you they're not sure it's of God, that's a pretty good sign that anxiety is taking over. Okay? Now, here's another one. When uh, we had the opportunity to adopt Taylor, and uh, it, for those of you who don't know, you know, some of you are new here. Uh, our son's 22 or 3, 23, 20, he's to be 23 next month, in a few, next week, actually. Um, thank you. <laughs> Man, I'm going to need a drink of dew after that. When the opportunity came up to adopt him, we sat down with a pediatrician friend. He went through every single thing that could possibly be there. And I had a lot of doubts. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't know about this God. God was starting to, to take my heart towards being a senior pastor. Um, you know, we wanted a family. But I'm like, that's a lot to potentially deal with. And so there was part of me looking for a, you know, all, all I had to say was no. And that opportunity would have been gone. But we chose to seek the Lord and to pray about it. And it over the course of two or three days, you know, there was a window we had to make the decision in. I went to church on, on Sunday morning. Before church, I was in my office. I was reading through the Word, and God spoke to me through His Word. I mean, it was as clear as a bell. Now, it wasn't an audible voice. You're all like, whoa, what did it sound like? It wasn't an audible voice, but God spoke to me through His Word. You know why God spoke to me through His Word? Because I was seeking Him through His Word. That's the, that's the number one way you hear from God. Okay? And it was as clear as day. God said, do it. It was a verse in Psalms about that, about the fatherless and how God will provide a home. He'll, he'll make um, homes without parents to have children. And I, it was just as clear as day to me. I called my wife up and I said, I think God spoke to us. We need to go get him. And she said, well, you know what? I opened up to read my, my Sunday school lesson for this morning. She was teaching Sunday school. 
And the, the title of the lesson was, A Gift You Shouldn't Refuse. And we knew that was God speaking to us. And so we went. And, you know, at the time, now our, our church has a culture of loving folks with special needs. We built that culture. But at the time, people just, it wasn't because they were mean or anything. They just didn't know how to deal with it. And so most people just chose to kind of stay away. I mean, that's the way it was. And I really thought that that, that was going to be a hindrance to us as we sought a church to be a senior pastor of. And so I thought, well, you know, hey, if it is, it is. That's what God wants us to do. But here's the key thing. All the opportunities, all the churches that actually offered us a position as pastor, including this one, every single one of them said that stood out to them, that we had adopted a child with special needs. And see, here's the thing. When you're obedient to God, the thing that you think is going to limit you becomes the place of victory. But you've got to be willing to obey even when you don't see it, even when you don't understand it in your own mind. That's what obedience brings, is victory that you didn't expect and blessing that you didn't know was going to come. Now, I can't imagine our life without Him. He's been a blessing in every way. And it was because we were willing to be obedient, even when we didn't understand it. Even though it didn't make sense in some ways, we were obedient. And that's what waiting and listening to God and being obedient brings you. We've been waiting a long time to start a family. You know, we asked the attorney when we got down there, because there were a lot of couples that had said no before us. And we said, why would so many of them say no? And he said, because here's the deal. And this is true for believers. I want you to hear this. He said, because it doesn't fit the picture of what people thought their family was going to look like, and so they say no. And for too many of us, we have this picture of what our family is going to look like or what our life's going to look like or what this path's going to look like. And instead of trusting God beyond the picture, we say no sometimes to the greatest blessings. Because we're trusting in our own understanding instead of trusting in Him. Learn how to seek God's answer. And you know, I love that last part. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. How will He show you? It's going to be unique to you. Now, the one thing I will tell you is, be in the Word. Ask other believers to be praying with you. You know, if you're married, pray about it together. Pray about it separately. Seek the Lord together. Ask mature people, would you pray with me about this? This is what's going on. And there's good to get an abundance of counselors. But let me tell you what, God will find a way to show you in a way that you understand. You know, I have three kids, they're all different. But I learned how to communicate to each one of them in a way that they understood. That's what a father does. And that's what your father will do for you. So quit worrying about how he's going to show you and just listen and just watch and seek an answer. Seek in the Word. Seek through prayer. And trust that he's going to find a way to tell you. And he will. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. All right. Now I'm going to talk about a different kind of anxiety. I, I really believe that now, anxious, 
this might be my only chance. Anxiety is something you're all, everybody's going to face as a believer. And if we can learn to patiently seek God and to trust Him, it is going to make a huge difference in your life. Now, if you if you messed up in the past, so what? Be committed from this day forward. You can't fix yesterday, but you can choose today. Choose this day whom you will serve. That's our, that's our challenge every single day. Choose this day whom you will serve. So now here's another type of anxiety, and I'm going to get all sciencey on you. I call it atmospheric anxiety, okay? And what that means is, is that we allow the atmosphere that we're in to make us anxious. You know, you, you're feeling all good about your day, and you sit down with a bunch of people, and they're all like, oh, man, everything's, you know, it's going to pot, and it's going to, man, everything's going to blah, 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 and yada, yada, yada. And hey, sometimes I've been the one thinking and saying that. I bet we all have. We've had some reasons the last few years. Things are a little different. There are reasons you can look around and be anxious. But here's the deal. You can be going along all good with your day, and then all of a sudden, everybody starts talking about this or that, and it starts making you feel anxious. Well, what if that does happen? What if I don't have enough ammo? You don't. Buy some more. <laughs> I'm not even going to say I was joking, because I really wasn't. <laughs> But you know, we can get anxious. We're on social media and we start scrolling down. All of a sudden it's like, man, their life looks so good and they're getting younger. What kind of filters are they using on their selfies? It's amazing. Or what about this? Or what about that? And, and the, the people that were around in the atmosphere that we're in, maybe it's work and some, oh, here we go again. It's all going to be blah, blah, blah. You're around that atmosphere and it changes you and it makes you anxious. And we can all be contributors to that, and we can all be victims of it. But you know what the Bible tells us to do? It says stop allowing the atmosphere to change you and start being a, an instrument to change your atmosphere. That's what salt's for. You know, salt changes stuff, doesn't it? A friend of mine made some... Uh, Homemade ice cream, Butterfinger, and I love it. Man, we dipped up a big old bowl, and I took a bite, and the first thing I did was <laughs> spat it right back out. Because apparently, he had accidentally put salt instead of sugar into the ice cream. Now, let me tell you something. I didn't just go, oh, well, there's a little salt, but it's still a delicious treat. I spat it up because it changed the whole deal, doesn't it? Salt changes things. It doesn't take a whole lot to change it, just a little bit. You ever been into some meat or something, and you're like, man, it's missing something. And then a little salt, and all of a sudden, changes the taste. You know, one of the best examples I've ever heard was to be, you can either as a Christian be a thermostat or a thermometer. Now, a thermometer, all it does is read the temperature. You know, you can go outside if you've got a, a temperature outside, and it'll tell you how hot or how cold it is. But all it does is tell you what the atmosphere is around it. But now a thermostat can change the atmosphere. See, we got two little plastic four-inch boxes on each wall. Do not touch the boxes, by the way. Because some of you are like, 
It's cold in here. I know there's a thermos. Hey, I get it. That's so y'all stay awake. But that little box right there, it's a tiny little box. But it changes the atmosphere in the whole room, doesn't it? And you know what? Jesus told us to be that. You are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Here's the thing. A little bit of salt can change the flavor of something. And if you go into a dark room, a completely dark room, and light even the smallest light, it changes the whole room, doesn't it? That's what we're supposed to be, is salt and light. And so here's the challenge, okay? The challenge is, in the last part of that verse in Matthew 5, talks about no one puts a lot, lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. So here's the challenge. We're going we're to issue what we call the salt challenge. And that is we want you to change the atmosphere. Instead of getting on social media and everybody ranting about how bad things are, Let's change the atmosphere. Let's change the focus. Let's change the groups we're in. When the conversations start, oh man, you know how much gas is, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, hey, maybe it'll go, maybe it's going to go up some more. But you know what? God's got a plan. He's got a way to get you enough money to put in your tank. God knows what's going on. Maybe we just change here and there. And instead of just dwelling on the negative, what if, we, what if we as a church, social media and in our workplaces and our homes, if we made a determination, how long I want you, I want you to do this till Christmas, till we celebrate the birth of the baby Jesus, okay? We're going to, oh, that's a long time. Well, y'all going to be watching commercials and shopping, and some of y'all are already, how many, I'm not even going to ask. Some of y'all are already watching Hallmark Christian Christmas movies. Oh, my lands. So don't be telling me it's too long because you're going to be doing all that stuff from now till Christmas anyway. So why, would, why couldn't we just do it for that long and be atmosphere changers instead of allowing the atmosphere that we're in to change us? What if we could be positive? What if we could even hold each other accountable? You know, when somebody rants on Facebook, about something that happened and they kind of, you know, go off the rails a little bit. What if we gave them a call? Hey, man. I saw that rant on Facebook. I just want you to know, bro, if you need to, you know, like vent or something, I'm here for you. Give me a call, but maybe don't put it on social media. What if we just held each other accountable? Or that friend that's always sharing a little bit too much information. And we called him up and said, hey, Love you. And you're welcome to call me. But maybe don't share it all on social media. What if we just held each other accountable? Or if somebody shares something about a heartache in their life, if we said, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. But not only that, I'm here if you need something. What if we change the atmosphere? 
What if we didn't just comment on a Facebook post? What if we went and saw them? Or we called them up? Or we wrote them a card? Or we decided to just do something kind for them instead of jumping in on their misery? What if we did that? What kind of change? What kind of change could we be? You know, the last thing, I read that verse in, uh, that we started out with Philippians chapter 4 where it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to read to you the verses that come right after that. And here's what it says. And now, dear brothers, one final thing. One final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You see, I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to do some kind of fake, false, false, Pollyanna, you know, quote a scripture every day. Hey, put Bible scriptures on there. I hope you do. But don't be, why don't we focus ourselves on things that are good and are right and are honorable? And then share that with other people. That's what the Word tells us to do. One final thing, fix your thoughts on these things. If it's true, if it's honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. The two major things today are this. is Number one, don't fall for the counterfeit. Wait until God brings a real deal. And then the second thing is, as a church, you know what? That's kind of what we're called to be as Christians, is salt and light. And I get it. It's easy to allow. And you know what overrules that? Anxiety. Because we get worried about it. What about this? What about that? And we allow that to change us instead of us being a, a, an instrument of change in our atmosphere. Be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Be salt. Be light. So that's the salt challenge from now till Christmas. Is I, I want to encourage you to be that wherever you are, whether it's on social media, whether it's in person, whether it's at work. Because some of y'all are like, well, you don't know the people I work with. I don't know them. Jesus does. And you know what? I know a lot of y'all are doing this already. You know how I know that? Last week, we had eight people look up at me and, and indicate that they'd prayed to receive Christ. Why did that happen? Because you invited them. Because you were just living maybe in a way that people noticed was a little different. They said, they talked to you, or they asked you where you went to church because somehow they knew you were a believer. And you said, well, I go to Greenwood, and then they came here. Hey, keep doing that stuff. That's good. I like that. That's being salt and light. As a result of what you do, you know, we have baptized well over 100 people this year. 
And we got several more scheduled already for the rest of the year. I think we're up to like 120 now. Do you know there are 10,000 churches in the United States that didn't baptize a single person last year, but we baptized over 120. That's pretty good. Now, I wish it was 220. Maybe next year. We're, we're never going to be satisfied, but we should still rejoice in, in, in what God's done. That's 120 lives. Not even counting the ones that have been saved and haven't been baptized yet. That's a lot of people. When you look around, you know, you can get so caught up in the, in the, in the negative that you don't see the people in this church that God is working in their lives and working through them. That's one of the things I love seeing as a pastor is seeing how God's changing people and how they're, they're choosing to follow Christ and they're choosing to be obedient and they're choosing to seek Him. There's stories like that woven throughout this whole church and it's good to see. Now, we're also still a bunch of sinners and there's some of the other stories too. But man, there's people that are, even then sometimes, those things lead to repentance and people coming back. But it is so good to see how God's working and moving people's lives. That's what's honorable. That's what's true. That's what's right. Fix your thoughts on those things. You know, I don't, we don't ever want somebody to look at Greenwood as a failed perfect church because we never intended to be a perfect church. We just want to be a church that honors God. And we know we're not going to be perfect. Because we want people to come here that are as messed up as we are. And we're all messed up one way or another. Sin gets to all of us. But man, you can also see how God loves, fixes, and changes lives right here. And that's, that's worth something. Be salt. Be a thermostat. Be an influencer. Just by being you. And by letting the Jesus in you come out. You know, all those things start. And, and that's one of the hopes that we have as believers is knowing that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. It's, it's, a, it's a faith that comes through a relationship with Christ. It's not just because we read a book, it's because we met somebody, and his name's Jesus. And Jesus had loved us more than anybody else ever could, and he loves you more than anybody ever could. And we'd love for you to know him too. And so if you don't have a relationship with him, you may know things about him, but if you don't have a relationship with him, we want to give you the opportunity to have a relationship with him today. And so in a moment, I'm going to lead whoever would like to in a prayer so that you could meet and come to know Jesus. And there's really three simple parts of it. Number one, you know what? We're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. All of us have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Me, everybody else. And that sin separates us from God. But God, who loved us enough that he sent his only son, and when Jesus was born, he wasn't just a guy, he was also God. And he lived a life without sin. And because he lived a life without sin, he was a fitting sacrifice to die in my place and in yours. If he'd sinned and died, it wouldn't have meant anything to me because his, his death would have been for his own sin. 
But because he didn't sin, he was able to die in my place and in yours. He was God's son. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose on the third day according to Scripture. And so the third part is this. You've got to believe that Jesus is God's son. You've got to believe those things and you also got to confess him as Lord. And that means from this point on that you'll live according to his word and his way. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect at it. Nobody is. But his spirit will fill you even as your sins are forgiven. He gives us the power to be obedient. And we need him. And for those who know him here, I want you to be praying during this time as we come into a time of invitation. If you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that the God of the universe who created you would take up residence in your life and heart, if you'd like to know you have a right relationship with him and that your name would be written down in heaven so that your place eternally, God created us to be eternal, would be in heaven with him. If you'd like to know those things, I want to lead you right now in a prayer of salvation. You can repeat these words after me. Just pray them in your heart. God will hear you. Or you can pray them in your own words. But pray them with me now. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, please. Dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me and thank you for Jesus. I know Jesus is your son. I know he died on the cross for my sins. And today I ask forgiveness for those sins. Come into my heart and my life and cleanse me. So today I trust Jesus as my savior and I confess him as my Lord. Now if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You don't have to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I just want you to look up at me right now. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, you look up at me and keep looking until I see you. Okay? See you. All right? Okay? Okay? I see you. Gotcha. Here's what I want to ask you to do. In a moment, when the service is closed, John will be here at the front, I'll be up here. If you'd like to tell someone in person today about your decision, we'd love to hear you. It's important you tell somebody. You can come talk to one of us. Or if you'd rather, there's a number on the screen. You can just text, I did it to that number and we'll text you back and set up a time to talk, whether it's on the phone or in person. And we would love to answer any questions and also talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. We don't want anything from you. We're not putting you on a list. We're not going to ask anything from you. We just want to help. And we'd love to hear from you. Right now, I want to pray for you, those that made a decision to follow Christ, and for each of us, that God would help us to be salt and light. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, I thank you for those that have made a decision today to trust you as their Savior and Lord. And Father, I pray for all of us that you'd help us to be salt and light and change the atmosphere, Father, wherever we are, to be your people in a dark world so your light will shine. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. 
You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.